bringing you key insights, tips, and advice from the brightest minds in the Canadian franchise industry. This is the Franchise Canada Chats podcast. I'm Angela Cote, your host of the Franchise Canada Chats podcast, where we take you into the world of franchising. Our interviews are with franchisees, franchisors, and industry leaders who give on the pulse expert advice and share their franchising insights and experiences. Hello, Angela Cote here, and I am excited to have a conversation today with Grant Bullington of FranNet, who's going to talk to us about how to best use a franchise consultant to help you find the right franchise for you. I'm going to get Grant to explain this in more detail in a minute, but just for context, my background comes from my upbringing with M&M Food Market. My dad's the founder, and we grew over the years to almost 500 locations, And over the years, I had the opportunity to see what happens when people were a great fit as a franchisee for the brand and for just as a franchisee in general. And I had the opportunity to see what happens when they're not. And so I think, Grant, you and I are really aligned on our mission to help franchisors and franchisees get the right fit and really be able to optimize performance and profitability. Um, Anybody that knows me and follows me on on LinkedIn or Instagram or listens to my podcast probably knows that I really believe that when we tap into our passion and our purpose, we become unstoppable. So I think it's really important for franchisees that are listening or, or prospective franchisees in our audience right now, if you're listening and you're thinking, you know, how can I, how can I find the right franchise? This is a big piece of it is finding something that you're you're passionate about and you're able to tap into your purpose. So you're going to learn a lot today listening to Grant Bullington. So here we go. Are you ready to get rolling, Grant? Yes. Good morning. Hi. Thank you. Awesome. I'm finally, finally letting you uh, chime in. <laughs> okay. So to start, Grant, let's have you tell a little bit about your background and then getting it kind of into why you decided to partner with FranNet. Okay, so I'll go back to, I used to be in an industry that at one point I was like exceptionally passionate about and it was starting to wane and I had an opportunity to buy a retail store and I just, I couldn't really come to terms with it. It's like, should I, you know, commit these level of dollars to something that I've got a waning area of passion in and decided not to do that. And I thought, well, let's, let's do an industry shift. And so I decided to work for 1-800-GOT-JUNK in Vancouver not because I knew anything about franchising secretly because it would have been voted, you know, best company to work for. And I thought, well, let's just interview and, and see what this is all about. And I walked in the door for my first interview there. And it was like a, like a literal threshold that I walked into because I had no idea about service-based franchises at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I went up starting with a role there that was, you know, really exciting because I worked with the prospective franchisees to help recruit them to build that franchise system out. And I did that for about two and a half years. And it was during, you know, a pretty significant boom time of that industry. So it was quite fun. Um, After a while, it did get a little bit repetitive. And so I took a vacation. They missed me, brought me back to run the department. And then we had the great recession that was starting. And I kind of knew that my days were numbered there. Um, And so I was like a lot of folks at that time, let go. Um, And it was November of 2008. So I'm, you know, out there in the mean street saying, I want to stay in the franchise industry. I wonder, you know, what are my options? And they were not plentiful. Um, now, I had the fortune of knowing about FranNet. And so that was just one of the stops on my local research was like, well, what do these folks know? Um, and as it turns out, the 
owner of that franchise location, so for British Columbia, was looking to exit the business. And so despite it sounding like a really dumb idea, and my family agreed that it was like, you're going to buy a business in a recession, um, mm -hmm. is I did my homework. And it just realized that, you know, like, not only is this a great option, but given what was going on, it was like, this is also one of the only options. So I decided to move ahead with it, which was terrifying. Right. And this is where I think my story sounds a lot like a lot of the clients that I'm working with. That they are, you know, been thrust into some career transition, trying to figure out what the next step should be. And when business ownership comes into play, I can be like, I've been there. Um, and so it's been quite exciting, right? It's it's a different role than it was selling franchises for 1-800-GOT-JUNK um, for a few different reasons. I'm sure we'll get into that. But net-net is it's a much more intimate process because I take the time to get to know our clients. And we also spend a lot more time as we're working through it together. And I'm working with you know far fewer people at any one given time than I would be, you know, where it's, you know, your franchise rep and you got like, you know, hundred people scattered throughout the different process there as I'm working with, it's got to be manageable so that I have the time available for my clients. So I started with British Columbia uh, and then there was an opportunity to acquire the Alberta uh, franchise office, which I did. And then uh, you just, you know, wound up also inheriting the Manitoba and Saskatchewan territory. So that's what I focus in on is I'm helping uh, people in that 1.1 million square miles finding research franchise opportunities. And I've been doing that for uh, coming up 13 years now. Oh my gosh, I have so many questions. Perfect. <laughs> so much good stuff just came out of this. One thing that I hadn't, I, I think I heard your, we've known each other for a little while and I, I hadn't heard your story for a while. I think I'd forgotten this piece. What a great example where you, like you said, you know, you were, you were, you were thrust into figuring out something new because of the, in your situation, it was the recession and being laid off and having to find something new. We hear this all the time that, that that's what prompts people to look at becoming small business owners and they don't know how to do it. They, they want to do it, but they want that support from a, a, a bigger company or a franchisor. So now you're, you're helping people go through something that you went through. How cool is that? Yeah, I think it helps me sympathize with them and also, you know, not talk in theory. It's like, I, I lived through this, right? Yeah, um, that is huge. That makes you so relatable when you're having those conversations that you really care because you went through it yourself. So that, so that's awesome. And just, wow, you went from, from the one, I guess, territory of BC to yes. expanding to Alberta and then, and then Saskatchewan, Manitoba. So um, you're really making a, a big impact. That's pretty awesome. And, and I'm getting a bunch of WestJet miles too. Oh, <laughs> that's always good. Yes. And hopefully you'll get to actually use them soon as we, uh, as we get out of this crazy pandemic, as we work yes. with. Yes. Can you speak a little bit to FranNet? So FranNet has consultants all over, as far as I know, North America, maybe, maybe Correct. further. Yeah. Um, can you speak to the mission that FranNet has? So Fran, just, and just to clarify again, just to really make sure people understand this, that, that FranNet, it's a, it's a network of consultants helping people do the things that you're doing, helping fit people, match, make them to, to franchises. So maybe you can speak to FranNet's overall mission. Yeah, I can. And there's really like two halves to the missions, right? Um, overarching is what we're helping to do is to help, you know, elite franchisors expand their franchise system with superstar franchisees. So herein lies the split in that for these franchisors, our mission is to go find them superstars. And on the flip side for the clients, the prospective franchisee is we're trying to find an opportunity for them that will allow them to become a superstar. Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, to touch on your point, so FranNet, we're a franchise system ourselves. 
Um, and we focus on the regional exclusive territory, which I think is different than some of the other options that you may have out there. Um, because as soon as somebody falls outside of the my territory is it may as well be in like Bangladesh. I'm clueless as to like what's going on in that marketplace, who they'd want to talk to in terms of like, you know, other professionals and what have you. So we hand it off to somebody who knows that marketplace intimately. And, and I think it you know has a, a fair amount to do with you know, an appreciation for what's going on in those particular marketplaces, right? And I think that this is one of the struggles that, um, you know, if I'm from Calgary, right? And um, for the first, I don't know, two, three years, I timed my trips to Calgary, even when it was February is they had a Chinook for me, right? So I didn't really get to experience the extreme weather. And then that I started for you, about it. For you, they had a for Chinook me. for you. <laughs> yes, just for me. I was like, as soon as I booked my flight, it was like, oh, look at this. There's a Chinook coming. But then I bragged about it. And then it was like, no, we got some minus 35 for you. Um, so in some cases, like, A, I've experienced it, although on a very short um, uh, time frame there. But I also understand that, you know, this is something that I have to, you know, uh, you know, sometimes intervene with the franchisors who maybe have heard about snow, but they live in Florida and they don't really appreciate like what the impact would be in the in in the business. And at the same time, you know, like guiding clients on like, here's what you need to do to figure out, like, you know, talk to other similar markets and find out like, you know, how the white stuff and negative temperatures impacts their business. Right. So getting kind of like uh, tactical, almost at the regional fit aspect there as people explore their businesses. That's interesting. I, I actually hadn't thought a lot about that, but yeah, it really makes sense that knowing knowing the market and the territory and, and how that's going to impact business and, and and helping, you know, under helping the prspective franchisee, the person thinking of becoming a franchisee, understand how that's going to impact them as well. Mm-hmm. I have a question um, about you know if if I'm thinking of becoming a franchisee. It, what if anything, what would be the downside? Like, why wouldn't I use a franchise broker? Like, I can't understand why people wouldn't just connect with someone like you. Is there an objection that you hear that people need to hear the response to? There's no cost to them, right? There's not, right? So we're paid on the uh, referral fee basis. So when our clients move ahead with the franchise, I have to do some paperwork and the franchise or pays us a referral fee. Yeah. So a couple of things on that is one is that, you know, for the franchise or they only have to reward us if we find them a uh, superstar. If I send them a dud and it doesn't move ahead, then of course there's nothing there. Um, and then <laughs> for our clients, it doesn't cost any more because they found the business through me versus had they found it on their own. And then second is I don't get paid more if my clients buy a more expensive business. Um, so it's, it's, you know, fairly straightforward there, I think, and obviously I'm biased, like, why wouldn't you work with a franchise consultant? I mean, we have some limitations, right? One of which is I don't work with every franchise under the sun. Um, generally what we see is like the extremely well-known brands. I mean, they have like this gravitational pull for more inquiries. I'm sure that, you know, the big ones got, you know, 10,000 leads already this morning. They do not need 10,001, um, so there's, you know, just, and there's certain categories that, yeah, there, we, there may be lots of franchises in that space. We just elect not to work with them. And so that's, you know, one of the areas that, again, like I mentioned that we're trying to help like these elite franchisors. Um, we don't work with everybody, right? We have to, you know, to, it's, it's actually a, a fairly lengthy process for a franchisor to, you know, come into what we would call the inventory where I'm then able to uh, be able to show them. And I do appreciate the amount of efforts that our head office does, because, you know, when we do have a new partner that comes into play is that I'm not going to lose sleep when I'm introducing my client 
to that business because we know that they've taken like a deep dive, right? They've Our legal teams looked at the franchise agreement, our finance teams looked at there, um, and we consultants will volunteer to actually you know, call existing owners, ask the same questions that an owner or a prospective franchisee would and report those findings back up. And it just has to be that, you know, all signs are pointing to this business looks like it makes sense, right? It's been around for long enough. There's enough history there that, you know, uh, uh, somebody can actually wrap their arms around some data when they're going through the research and on the whole, what they hear is positive, right? So in, if somebody's looking to get into, you know, like a franchise system that, you know, they watched Dragon's Den two years ago and they have three franchisees, I am also not the conduit for that. But, you know, generally the biggest struggle that we have is, you know, like awareness, right? And I find it kind of laughable that, you know, Fran, that we've been around in Canada since 1990. And yet so many people are like, wow, I had no idea you were out there, right? Um, so, um, you know, Mark, just getting people to know that franchise consultants exist and how we can help. Um, that's an ongoing challenge, right? And I realize I'm never going to, uh, never going to become a household name. Well, hopefully maybe this, this CFA podcast will help. <laughs> Every little bit helps. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. So a couple of things that you said there that are, that I want to kind of just double click on. Um, so I really like any franchisor into your inventory and say, yeah, we'll sell your business. So there's, you're really vetting and that's a huge benefit to a prospective franchisee that you're already vetting. Now you mentioned, I just want to clarify this for people that are new to becoming, potentially becoming a franchisee that, you know, the legal documents, for example, they they need to be very much in favor of the franchise. It, it looks like they're in favor of the franchisor, but that's because it needs to protect your investment as a franchisee. So it, you guys are taking a look at those legal documents, the FDD franchise disclosure document and the franchise agreement and saying, yep, this looks reasonable. Um, so that's really cool. Are there, I guess, in terms of the criteria. So you're making sure, I guess you're, you're making sure it's a viable business model. Is that like, what, how would you say you're, what are you looking for to make sure that you feel comfortable showing these options to prospective franchisees that you're working with? You know, we have to hear in our you know vetting out as well as on an ongoing basis. I want to point out that um, just because a franchisor gets in the front door doesn't mean they are permanently, you know, a fixture in our inventory. We will sometimes put people in the penalty box to figure things out. And uh, folks are, you know, asked to leave if they're, you know, if they wind up having some situations that they aren't able to remedy um, to our satisfaction, we will, you know, stop working with that franchisor. Great. Can you give an example of a situation? Like, can you just maybe, yeah, what's an example of a situation that you might put them in the penalty box for, which I love that, by the way, especially being Canadian. Yes, um, very Canadian. Um, so an example would be this is that we had, and so these disclosure documents, they expire every year, which means that, you know, the most somebody would base their decision on is, you know, 364 day old data. Um, and, you know, we had a concept that they had a pretty significant amount of um, franchisee turnover. And so it was like, hold the phone, don't show this concept for a little bit, we need to, you know, get in and investigate it. And despite, you know, the attrition is they had a really, you know, acceptable response to it. And, and it was basically that, you know, most of the franchisees were in California, which was the hardest hit in the recession. And second is that most of these um, franchisees, it was the second income into a household. And in a lot of cases, the number one breadwinner was relocating out of state. And it was like, you know, they're not going to hang back to, you know, um, have this business, you know, continue to operate. And it was also a really low cost franchise, which meant that there wasn't a catastrophic cost yes. to walking away from it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so after some, you know, research, then it's like, okay, the, the, this one's, you know, kind of acceptable. 
But if we have a situation where, you know, I don't know, franchise or goes on a war path and they just start like terminating and just litigating a lot of franchisees, that is a kind of a, you know, a major change. Although generally we find that, you know, the a franchise or it's pretty rare that they're going to, you know, change their tune significantly, right? We'll oftentimes see that, you know, franchise has been around for 20 years and you go to the disclosure document and you're going to look for like, oh, let's read about all these juicy lawsuits. And it's a blank page with a watermark up the middle. that says intentionally left blank, right? Because when they do have challenges and they, they all do is they solve them like, you know, just adults and they don't necessarily need to get, um, lawyers involved that it's it's pretty rare that you'd have a franchise system that overnight would just turn into you know like a sport litigator um so that's pretty pretty rare we hope you're enjoying this episode so far did you know that franchise canada has a newsletter sent twice a month that's packed full of fresh franchise opportunities with franchise canada e-news you get new content from franchise canada magazine franchisee success stories industry news about cfa members educational videos all about franchising, and you can keep up to date on the newest episodes of the Franchise Canada Chats podcast that you're listening to right now. Plus, by subscribing to Franchise Canada e-news, you get a free subscription to Franchise Canada magazine. Subscribe now at FranchiseCanada.online. Now, back to the podcast episode you are enjoying. Right. Okay. So this is awesome for people to understand that you really have their back. You're look, you're, you're looking for these things. And it's interesting because I often, when people ask, and I'm not a, I'm not a franchise consultant, like you are, like, I don't mat, I don't not doing the matchmaking, but I, I do get asked a lot of, how do I know if this is a good franchise to invest in? You know, people will ask that. And, and we say, look at, look at the disclosure document and see what the turnover has been. But like you said, like why? And sometimes the why maybe, maybe they actually, um, uh, gracefully moved franchisees out that weren't a fit and help them sell their business or help them move on so that they could start fresh or like this stuff happens, but to have an expert like you, there helping these prospective franchisees understand all that is really, really cool. Um, I also want to understand, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess we're going to leave that topic for a minute. How would someone know that you have their best interest as a prospective franchisee, like, you know, for well, now one thing you mentioned that I think you mentioned that you get a straight, the compensation for you isn't dependent on the brand that you, you match them with, but how would I know you're really looking out for my best interests versus just trying to, you know, kind of close a deal? Well, our head office actually literally led the charge on creating the broker disclosure document. So we get that to all of our clients and it was pretty much us getting in front of, you know, any concern about, you know, what's going on with this franchise industry. Um, you know, it came out of, um, out of the U S primarily because, you know, there, there were some dirtbag consultant organizations out there. And of course we didn't want to get, you know, hauled into that. And so this is where, you know, somebody couldn't at least get an understanding about like the full spectrum of like who we are, our background, you know, almost like the same level of detail that you would find about an organization in a franchise disclosure document is you're able to find that out. At the end of the day, it's it's going to come down to a trust. I mean, every single conversation uh, that I have with a client, I mean, I should be making them feel like that they are in good hands, right? And the you know my activities kind of like back 
all of that up. And it really just starts with that conversation. And I mean, the fact that like people are free to go at any time, like I never sign a contract with our clients. They don't have to buy a franchise that we've talked with. If they don't get along with me, um, that's totally fine. Right. Um, and, and I think it's just no different than, I mean, we even tell people like when it, it's the part where it's like, okay, now we're going to talk to some franchise lawyers is we give them a few different options. And my recommendation is talk to them. They're all really good at what they do. Go with the one that you feel like, you know, you connect with the most, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing for here, right? And, and, you know, I would hope that they ask me a lot of questions that would then, you know, put themselves at ease about, do I want to work with this grant guy or not? Mm -hmm. Do you ever find that, I, I, I'm guessing this happens, but do you find that people come to you and you can see right away that they don't have, I always talk about the DNA of a high-performing franchisee. Do you have people that like candidates that want to become a franchisee and you can sense right away that I don't think you're going to like being a franchisee. And so like, I don't actually recommend you go this path. Do you ever have that happen? There's, uh, I always go on like the slightly negative and skeptical, like, I, am I sure this client's going to be a good fit for this business? Right. And I actually, you know, prescribe them to do that same thing. Right. Because when you have somebody who's always dreamed about owning their own business, and now it's like on the doorstep of becoming a potential is there's that risk that they get like excited and positive and they, you know, install some blinders and potentially miss some pretty big facts there. Um, from my standpoint, I appreciate, like, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't tell who's going to be a good fit and who's not going to be a good fit. Um, but I do certainly look for, you know, indicators that they are committed to gear up for the research process. And, you know, true story. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday who was filling out like one of the preparatory questionnaires, right? And the second one is like for the next three to four months, do you have 10 to 20 hours a week prepared to dedicate for this? That was as far as you got. And then we had a conversation and really discovered it's like, no, like this would be like number six on his list of really important things that he's got on the go. So we decided like now's not the time for this. And, you know, frankly, we always have that conversation that it's like, we need to go gather all this data and then we can make our decision. And we also have to be honest with just how much time and effort it's going to take and are we emotionally prepared for the wild roller coaster that has ensued, right? So generally folks are like, you know, both like a timing standpoint, like, yeah, I'm prepared to make a decision in three to four months. And from a timing standpoint, yes, I can open this business in the next, you know, six to nine months. That's fine. And, and we also, you know, need to see like, you know, what's, what do they bring to the table? Right. Cause there's some folks who like dream of owning their own business and, you know, yeah, you get to know them and you're like, I don't think so. Yeah, right. that's kind of what I'm getting at. Cause I would think that you would see that and you'd see those things and you don't want a bad track record, like back to kind no. of, you know, and I think that kind of goes back to the question of, of how, how do we know you have their best interest? Well, you don't want failures. Like you don't want people coming back to you six months or a year later after they signed up for this business opened, especially if they invested a bunch of money, cause it's a, a brick and mortar, you know, maybe a retail concept or something. And they say, Grant, you, you know, you put me into this business and it wasn't a fit. And didn't you see it? Like, I'm sure you, you're, you're trying to get a good track record. So you're going to, you're going to bring those things up. Yeah. And, and I also think like two things that I do um, to, you know, help this, and they're both somewhat self-serving, right. Is that the entire time that I'm working with a client is I'm always asking myself if they, you know, called me up and this is just theoretical, but I said, Hey, Grant, would you, you know, come in on this, like 10, 20, 30% on the business, you know, private, silent investor, like, would you do it? Right. And I use that as like a litmus test and have a conversation with myself right. about like, 
would I do that? Or is that causing some cause for concerns? And if it is, then it's like, you know, perhaps we have some agenda items to, um, to discuss. And then the second thing is like purely selfish. And I noticed this after about two years in my business is that the work that I did in the first two years generated a tailwind, if you will, and nothing makes my job easier than when my clients today get to validate. And some of the folks that they talk to were people that I helped into that same business three, four, five years ago and are doing exceptionally well. Mm-hmm. is that that you know flywheel effect is considerable right and and i certainly wouldn't want you know a so-so franchisee coming in and disrupting that effect you know by kind of throwing a wrench in the works that's yeah so that's kind of what i expected that you know yeah you're you're you want referrals you want and when you say validate it just for people to, to understand i think what you mean by that is when new French, new perspective franchisees talk to an existing franchisee and the person says, yes, this was a good investment that you want to hear that you want that for, for all the reasons you do. And you also want to hear the it's okay, but, or I left and this is why, right. Is so that you get that full perspective. Cause again, like, you know, don't base the research on, you know, just the superstars, right? Because what if you're not a superstar? Like, or just to get a sense of like, this is how other people screwed this business up. And at least you're aware of it. And now you can kind of avoid that, you know, pitfall um, coming into it. And, and here's the thing that I see is that Canadians are pretty conservative when we compare ourselves to the folks in the US. And, and I think there's some pretty major reasons why that. A, is super easy to get lots of uh, investment or loans in the US. And then second is that, you, a lot of your retirement funds, they um, are not impacted with the bankruptcy. And I also think it's not as like sacrilegious to go bankrupt in the US. And so you wind up with this like, just do it mentality there. And yeah. Canadians are like, well, hang on a second here. Like they tend to be a lot more petrified and they're also not willing to risk as much of their net worth into a business. Um, and, and the fact that they come pre-programmed with that, you know, significant risk aversion, again, makes my job easy because when I suggest that let's take a dark look at this and let's look at some of the reasons why it might not work out or even go really dark and say, and and we do this with all of our clients is like, you know, let's not think up the situation, but in your second year, it's just not working. You need to get out of your business. Walk me through what that exit, what those exit options are like. I love that because you're bringing in a real level of that is credibility right there. When, when you're saying, let's get really real with this. Um, it's actually interesting. You mentioned this because I wrote, I'm pretty sure the article was, was a, in the CFA magazine uh, a few years ago about the difference between Canadians and Americans and that, you know, in Canada, we need more information and we want to be a little bit more strategic. So I love that you're really helping, helping them do that. Um, and I, one other thing I, I often find when people are thinking of becoming a franchisee, sometimes they just also need some help kind of taking the leap. Like, do you sometimes help people where you see this looks like it's going to be a big fit? Nobody, like you said, you don't have a crystal ball. Nobody can guarantee anything, but sometimes that's, you know, an entrepreneur that starts their own business from scratch and is really scrappy. You know, they maybe don't need that because they're naturally more, you know, risk, risk uh, tolerant. But somebody who is thinking of becoming a franchisee, usually it's because they want a little bit of security. So do you find sometimes you're kind of coaching people to take that leap? I find they come to me like pretty excited and they're like, hey, I want to get into my own business. And they see the value of going with the franchise route because, you know, I come along and that organization's already made two million mistakes and I don't have to repeat any of them. And yeah, you pay a fee up front to join and then there's ongoing royalties. And and that's really a big part of the discovery process is to confirm that there's value to justify those fees. Um, I think the real 
way that we start by providing value for our clients is that when somebody's like, oh my God, I want to be into business. And they're like, you know, getting in the starters blocks is sometimes it's us that says, hang on, your shoes aren't tied. Mm, okay. Right? So the other way you're slowing them down a little bit to make sure they're thinking it through. Slowing it down. And, and so we do, um, if I were to look at like a, you know, a, a time intensity map of, you know, the, the working with a client, it, it tends to be almost like bookended with some pretty extreme time commitment. Again, that's one of the reasons why I don't work with, you know, like hundreds of clients at any one given time, because the initial investment from my hours in is fairly significant. And the, the client is uh, equally participating in, in all of that time. And the idea is that step two is let's talk about some specific franchise opportunities. Step one is let's craft this particular game plan there. And and we do a number of steps. First is what's going on? What are you looking to do? Why are you looking to do this? And I specifically ask, you know, just why now, right? And let them talk. And they should be able to, you know, fill that void with, you know, a lot of compelling reasons that they've like thought this through. And there is that, you know, strong desire to get in there. And it's also, you know, kind of grounded. And then we get into, we use a um, psychometric profile called the entrepreneurial profile. And it's really helpful because a, it asks them a ton of annoying questions. Um, and, and, you know, somewhere we look back at, you know, or highlights and lowlights in your career. If you think about the things that you're good at um, and, or would like to avoid just again, from your careers, now that we can start to see like what the direction would look like. Uh, and then it's quite helpful because there's a dozen different results types for that. Right. And it's not like we're trying to put people in boxes, like everything's on kind of like a range or a spectrum, but our franchise partners, we actually allow them to have their franchise system take the same version of our uh, assessment. Mm. So then they can literally go in the back room and correlate what profile types do well in our business. And that's where my matchmaking becomes easy because our franchisors say, these are the profile types that do amazing in our business. This is who we want to talk to. And by the way, these ones, they never do great in our business. They'll probably be good in somebody else's, just not ours. Please don't tell them about us. Yeah. And then we also get the, you know, the investment uh, question like right out of the way, right? And and obviously they're going to share like their net worth statement. I could grab my calculator and tell them how much they could invest. But really what it comes down to is what their preference would be. And, you know, sometimes you'll have somebody who's, you know, maybe younger and they're willing to go like deeper uh, as a percentage of their net worth. Or you have folks that, you know, if they're like 50 or 60, they're like, I'm pretty close to retirement. Now's not the time to swing for the fences. And we'll have conversations as well as like what they're looking to get out of the business and really establish that criteria. And I think spending the time to do that upfront really pays dividends when it's about to make that decision. Cause then it's like, okay, remember three months ago, we set out on a mission to, and three months is roughly the average timeline it takes to do the research is this is what we were going to go find. This business is the last one standing, how close to bullseye does it come and all these things that we have there. And, and you know, by then they've really identified and we've prioritized, you know, the, the, the must haves in the business, the nice to haves and then the bunch of other things there. And we, we just make sure that we maintain the consistent priorities there so that we're not buying a business on like, oh, I love their logo. Cause that doesn't matter, right? <laughs> what we really wanna focus in on is what do you do day in day out if you own this business? Is that what's going to be really enriching and rewarding for you? Because if it's not, then let's look at a business where you're going to be getting up before your alarm goes off in year three, four, and five, and you're still kind of really invigorated there. So we spend the time figuring out like what that match would be like. Whereas I think the automatic, you know, um, 
instinct for a lot of folks is they have a really good experience at a franchise and then it like dawns on them they're like oh my god wouldn't it be great if i owned one and it's like maybe yeah. we got to figure out a whole bunch of factors before we decide whether or not that's really a good fit as well so and the idea is that we just narrow things down right so that we're not going to go and try and look at i mean there's 1300 different franchise concepts in canada that would take you like decades to go through and new ones would be coming on. What we find is in order to do that proper level of due diligence to make this caliber of a decision, it, um, you know, if we start off with four, you'll regret looking at four. Um, and then we perhaps park one or one becomes evident that's not a great fit and, and continue to taper down as we escalate the amount of time that we spend in a business. But if somebody comes and they want to just, you know, like take a quick look at 10 or 15 different franchise concepts that is like just doing a drive-by right it's there's no time to really learn whether or not it's a good fit right so we will sometimes have to you know get people to just agree it's like you know we're we're going to do things differently than maybe you thought it was going to be but we've got this process and we've only helped you know like thousands and thousands of people in Fran work it um and again that's one thing that i look for is that if somebody is agreeing to follow our process and you know really be like a good student on that aspect that usually is a good indicator that a they'll get to the end of our process and then second is that they'll also be a good franchisee right blindly capable of following a process even if it's not immediately apparent why great point yeah that's it's, it's definitely a great test if, if you can follow that system and that process then you'll probably be able to follow the the process of the franchise or Again, you said a bunch of awesome stuff in there. I, I want to, pardon me, wants to go back on some of it. I also want to make sure I ask you a few more questions. So um, what are what are some things, maybe just a, a couple quick things that prospective franchisees should ask in their franchise search? So what through you or however they're doing that, what are some things they should look for? I, I think the biggest one is, you know, to understand like, what is my life going to be like if I own this? Right. And I think that, you know, it's, it's so easy to, you know, draw an incorrect parallel because you'll, you know, you assume, right. And, and I think sometimes people will assume that if they buy, you know, a business that's really fun to be a customer of, that mm. it will be equally fun to own that same business. Um, or on the flip side is they look at a business and they're like, I would never want to do that. And they walk right by it. And meanwhile, if you stuck around to learn, it's like, actually the owner never does what the frontline employees do. Right. Um, and, and not to pick on any particular industry, but when I'm giving workshops is I'll talk about like a home cleaning franchise and you just see like all the faces in the room are like, oh, gross. Like I would never want to do that. And meanwhile, it's just like, here's how you spend your time if you own that type of a business. And here's what your employees do, right? They do the cleaning. It's a white collar executive type of a model. And so, the, you know, there are different approaches to, you know, go and find that one. But I think like the first question is, and again, you're not going to be like, okay, great. After hearing like one response, I mean, it's the body of knowledge is just, what do I do if I own this business? Right. And, and you really want to make sure that like, that's where the ultimate fit is because if it's managing employees, right. You might find that if you have a business that you don't have any employees to manage that again, it's a kind of a hollow existence for you. Or on the flip side is if you're like, I don't like managing employees and you bought that uh, home cleaning franchise because you fell in love with the you know economics of it, you may really regret your decision when you you know built to like you know 40, 50 employees, right? Because you're like, well, that's 45 more than I wanted. Totally. You're you're hitting the nail on the head on this. It's actually very interesting. Just yesterday I facilitated a round table of of franchisors and I was challenging them on what's your differentiator and what what do you say to somebody who says, why would I buy into this brand? 
And you're so right. The cleaning companies, we had a guy on there from a pool cleaning company. And it's like, it's not about the cleaning the pool. It's about the growing people or, you know, do you, do you like the idea of, of growing and, and, and you know, managing humans? Cause that's yeah. often what the job is. And actually it's funny that you said what, cause when I, I was a franchisee myself for, for 18 years of, of family business, m M&M food market, and people would come in and they're like, wow, it looks like you're just printing money. This looks great. I want one of these. And I'm like, do you know how like that, like you have to, you have to be able to, you have to be able to attract and retain entry-level employees that are going to have to work in a freezer and work with customers. Now, if you get a kick out of that and you love leadership and you love people, perfect. But if you think you're just going to stand there and print money, you're not. So you're right. Like you, you really, uh, as a, as a prospective franchisee, you want to think about what do you like and it. You're right to not, don't look at the brand. Like we had, you know, a shipping company on our call yesterday. And it's not about being a person that manages shipping. It's about managing people and, and, and what, and we talked about the emotion of what that can bring, like the happiness that the, that the business provides. So if it's a cleaning company, like you mentioned, does it get you excited to know that you're helping people with their homes or, you know, if it's a painting business, making their home look better or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. there's some really great points. Um, I've got a couple more questions here, unless you wanted to quickly address that. Well, just real quick. I mean, th- that is like one of the overarching themes for the validation, right? When you get on the phone with the owners is just, that's when you get to ask him, like, what is your life like? Right. And you'll probably hear different versions of that because, you know, in some cases, like the franchisees may want to emphasize, you know, certain aspects of the role and they, you know, bring somebody on to focus on other areas, but that's where you really get a, you know, like a a window into the future of what your life would be like if you own that business. And again, you're hearing directly from franchisees who are going to be honest with you, right? Especially if it's not what they'd signed up for. Yeah, that is one of the best things that a a prospective franchisee can do, right? Is go talk to the other franchisees in the system and not just the superstars, but the, like you sort of alluded to this before, but what if it didn't work out, why isn't it working out? Maybe for that person, it wasn't a fit. So it doesn't mean it's terrible, or maybe you're like that person and it won't work for you. So I think that's really important. I really want to ask you, because you've been in this for, for quite a number of years, how have you seen the consulting industry change um, since you've been in it? So the way that organizations like you or yours and how you support prospective franchisees. So um, it overall has, you know, grown. I don't necessarily know if the growth is, you know, from the perspective franchisees, like, you know, that there's more firms like this out there. I don't know if that's necessarily um, a good thing. Cause you, you asked on this question, like earlier, kind of like on the trust factor there. And I'm not meaning to sling mud of, you know, some other companies who from the outside look like they do what we do. Um, but, you know, you'll sometimes find it's like, Hey, I've been a consultant for five minutes and I've never owned a franchise before. Right. Are they going to be able to guide you through, you know, um, have that kind of like level of expertise or um, that there's, you know, some cases where, and, and I've heard this from, you know, clients that came to me and they're like, I was working with somebody else and, you know, they, they couldn't even pronounce the name of my town, right? They kept saying attorneys and not lawyer. And they just got the heebie-jeebies. It's like, I'm not in good hands here. Um, or they showed me 50 businesses and asked me to pick one off the list. And it's like, well, why do you need a broker? Cause there's, you know, go to the CFA, look for a franchise. You could click all those buttons if you want. I don't think that helps you find a franchise. Um, but I think overall is that you see that, Every year, the number of uh, franchisee transactions, um, the number that come through fran- um, like franchise consultants, keeps to you know continues to tick up, right? And I think it has to do with two fronts. One is that 
finding franchisees has become a hyper competitive and super expensive game. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have these franchisors that, you know, come along and, and they might be doing absolutely everything right. And they have, you know, like 25 franchisees and now they're in a sea of, you know, like over a thousand different, how do they kind of even get in front of or engage in the conversation with people who have like so many options and they're getting wooed by, you know, they go and they're seeing like all the banner ads from companies who will literally pay more in, in um, you know, the actual acquisition cost to find that franchisee than that franchisees pay. Like they go totally upside down. Right. Um, and then of course we've seen that, you know, trade shows obviously for the last couple of years have been like a, a non-factor. Right. And, and so companies are like, well, how are we going to find this? Right. And you talk about it in some of your podcasts that it needs to be like a Parthenon strategy. There is no such thing as a silver bullet where you're going to find all of your franchisees and for the right franchise or we're one of those pillars. Right. But what we see generally is that that pillar has become larger and larger for a lot of franchise systems. Um, and I think it's just because we a economics, they only have to compensate us when we found them a superstar. But then more importantly, is that the caliber of owners that we find them, they're just because of the relationships that we have in play at the local market level, they're never going to be able to get in front of the folks that we're able to introduce them to. And I guess they see the value in that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, wow. Lots of good stuff there too. And I, I think one of the things that's really standing out for me is if somebody is thinking of using a franchise consultant or sometimes called brokers to uh, you really, what, does the person understand what it's like to go from not being a business owner to being a business owner? And again, you have such a great story where you had to figure it out and you used franchise, you became a franchisee yourself of FranNet and look at the success you've had. That's such a great story. And so like that relatability is good. Uh, one other thing I, I think just real quick, I want to just mention for people is that another, a, a change that I'm sure you've really seen is the growth from used to be franchising was all about quick service restaurants, you know, the Dairy Queens and the A&Ws. And, and I actually know that even back in 1980, going way back when my dad decided to franchise M&M meat shops, that that was even a little bit unusual. And now we've got, you know, like window cleaning franchises. And I mean, you know, I've got a, I've got a client who's a Spanish daycare immersion, like the, like um, so many are Spanish immersion daycare. You know, there's just so many different neat things out there. And, and as we talked about earlier, it's not always about the, the actual service. Sometimes it's about being a business owner that, you know, uh, draws people in. So very last point here. Um, actually, I want to make sure people know where they can get a hold of you. So let's, let's make sure we fit time for that. But real quick, one last tip for anybody. Is there anything else you missed that you want to make sure people hear or reemphasize that if they're thinking of becoming a franchisee that they should be aware of or advice that you have? I think the first thing is to like be able to articulate all the layers of what your plan is, right? And it's it starts with like, why I want to be in business, but then we should back it up with, and this is how it's going to happen. And this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want to avoid. And this is how it's going to fit. Not just, you know, for me and, and you know, the time that I spend working in my business, but then how that fits with the rest of my lifestyle, Right. So what does your family think about you getting into this business? Right. Even if they're not going to be involved in the day to day, they'll be impacted by that decision. Right. Um, so how does that make sense? And then bigger picture, like, is this a smart investment that's going to get you better prepared for retirement um, as you go? And I mean, we we just they're ever present, like the, the major pitfalls that people fall into. And the first one is that they make a decision based primarily on emotion. Right. 
wouldn't it be great if I had one, you know, an ice cream shop, because who doesn't like ice cream? And it's like, well, there's some downfalls to it, right? Um, and then the second one is just, um, you know, failing to make an appreciation for like, this is how I spend my life, um, you know, in this business, like, these are what my waking hours are, right? So trying to avoid that whole emotional thing. And it's really hard, because how do us humans like not get emotional on things? And then it's also, so when we go from like the, oh, this is going to be amazing, then what uh, replaces that is the negativity. Right. And we're all naturally negative. Some people a little bit more than others. And I, I, it will help you out in that you're like coming up with the reasons like challenges that the business may have. Right. And really just a matter of like writing those down and, and going and finding out like is weather a factor is investment a factor. What does it take to screw this business up? How can it be successful at it? Um, and then I think one of the things that, you know, we always just remind folks is we're going on a journey together and we're going to spend months encountering like massive amounts of data and then at the end be able to make an informed decision and you're going to also have to go through those same period of time without getting swayed from what we call the ambush right and it happened to me hey i'm thinking about buying this business and i you know had to spend a week with my family over christmas and all i endured was like grant you're an idiot right <laughs> And what you have to do is stick to your guns and, and really just, you know, like not fall almost victim to this like armchair quarterback that guaranteed you're going to get exposed, right? Anytime you pick up a article in about franchising, it's it's rare that it's positive in Canada. And and when you just, you know, you're going to friends and neighbors and you just ask yourself, it's like, hey, are, are these people that I would specifically go to for advice on this decision? If they're not, tune them out. And then second is just ask yourself how much they know about it, right? If they know nothing and they're just like, yeah, whatever you know, maybe just keep that in mind. And then, you know, family sometimes the worst, right? We've all got that one uncle, Charlie, he never followed his dreams. And so he's going to rain all over yours too. Just tune Charlie out. Like don't talk to him. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, getting really real and doing lots of research and, and introspection and, and, and then getting support. So, all right. In wrapping up Grant, what is the best way for people to track you down? I'm sure that, that you've, you've really opened up a lot of people's minds. So what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Well, I think the easiest would be to go to frannet.com. Uh, we've got a lot of resources on the website there. And then in the upper left corner, if you punch in your postal code, it'll take you to your local Frannet consultant. Uh, and you've got a couple of different options. There are a telephone number there. If you want to have that initial conversation, you can send an email. You can go straight to filling out the entrepreneurial profile or book a call um, with the individual consultant and um, go from there. If you happen to be in Western Canada, I'm happy to help you out. If you're in other parts of Canada, you're also in very good hands as well. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been so good. Thank you so much for all your insights and really helping clarify what is the best way to get the, the most out of using a, a franchise consultant. So thank you so much, Grant. Outstanding. Thank you, Angela. Thanks for listening. For more franchising resources, including how-to articles, expert advice, franchisee success stories, and franchise opportunities, visit FranchiseCanada.online. Don't forget to subscribe to Franchise Canada e-news while you're there. You can also learn more about franchising at cfa.ca and connect with specific franchise opportunities at lookforafranchise.ca. Now go be awesome.